Take your Bibles and go to Colossians 1.17, if you would, our pace through this section of Scripture, verses 15 to 20, is rather slow. It's because there's so much good stuff here, we got to slow down and get it and get it right. Colossians 1, 17 to 18, this is our text for this morning. It says this, And He is before all things, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. That in everything He might be preeminent. So there's one thought I want to drill into your heart and mind this morning. It's this one that's on the screen behind me. Say this with me. Life falls apart without Jesus. Do you believe that? Say it again. Life falls apart without Jesus. So my question is, um, how long did it take you to figure out that life falls apart without Jesus? Not very long, did it? No. doesn't take me very long. Ever had a day in your home where everything's going wrong, kids are being disobedient, a big bill comes in, and you just look at your spouse and go, man, things are falling apart, you know? In my world and in my life, usually when things are falling apart, it's not because of circumstances. It's because God is trying to get my attention. He he likes to use circumstances to remind me that I don't do life well on my own. And, And I think that I've come to learn that I need to learn this really well. So I haven't learned this, but I've learned this, that I need to learn how to do this a lot better. And I'm probably the only one in the room who needs to learn that. I don't think so. You see, our marriages, our child-rearing, our jobs, our finances, all of it falls apart without Jesus. And what Paul is talking about in Colossians 1 is the fact that Jesus is the core. He's the unifier of everything. And if you remember, last week we looked at verses 15 and 16 that essentially were about Jesus as supreme over creation. And the main thought from last week was simply this, that all of us are going to glorify Christ. It's not a matter of if you glorify Christ. It's a matter of how you glorify Christ. And in rather scary terms, I suggested to you that everyone glorifies Christ either by receiving Jesus as Savior and glorifying Him by the imputed righteousness of Jesus as we live out a Christ-like life, or we glorify Christ by paying for our sins eternally in hell and thereby glorify Christ. So make no mistake about it, every person on the planet Earth will glorify Christ. The issue is how. And then in the next verses, 17 and 18, Paul talks about the fact that Jesus is going to be preeminent, and he's going to be preeminent in the stuff that we allow him to be. No. Oh, he's going to be preeminent in the stuff that's convenient. No, it says what? He's going to be preeminent in what? In everything, right? That absolutely everything, everything in the world is going to bend the knee to the person and work of Christ, that one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will be declared as preeminent. That word preeminent means that Jesus will be declared as first influencer of all things. And so the thing that we're going to dial into this morning is this. How is Jesus, how does Jesus become preeminent in our lives? 
How does he become the core in real and practical ways? Because the, the problem is not that we don't know that he's the core or that we somehow deny that he's the core. That's not our problem. Our problem isn't the knowledge of Christ's sufficiency. Our problem is we like to take little parts of our lives and say to Jesus, hey, stay out of my stuff. And Jesus looks at our stuff and goes, yeah, I made that stuff. And if you don't stop it, I'll suck the air out of your lungs and we'll see whose stuff is whose stuff. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but it's times that I get ill. I get the flu. Or I get a bum knee that I realize, wow, I'm like human. I like hurt and I've got limitations. I can't, I'm not Superman. I can't do everything. But there's a part of my heart that wants to be Superman. Superhuman. And so this morning I want to give you three confessional statements that I hope will become um, a little bit like your morning regimen, like brushing your teeth, combing your hair, putting on deodorant, that there'll be three things that you will confess your allegiance to Christ by saying, there are three things that come out of this text that I think will help us to learn what it means to have Christ at the core so that we don't learn the hard way that life falls apart without Jesus. The first one is this. I'm dependent on you. Say that. I'm dependent on you. I want this to be something that you put on your mirror in your bathroom. That when you wake up, one of your first thoughts of the day is this. Christ, I'm dependent upon you. That my heart and life beats so that I can know that my life is a derivative of yours. I'm dependent on you. And that I get that and I get that in my soul. Verse 17 says this, He is before all things. Before all things. That word means that Jesus is in front of or prior to everything that exists. It's the word pre-existent. It means that before anything was, Christ was. It means that there's not anything that is that was is before He was. It means that everything that is in the world was created by, for, and through Christ. In other words, Jesus is declared here as the source of everything. There is nothing that when you trace it back can't come back to Jesus. It's like when my kids ask me, you know, funny questions in the car. God, or dad, who made this? And, and how does this work? And my kids are fascinated with how things work. And, and so who made this to happen? And eventually, you know, I just end up saying, okay, um, Jesus, we're going to end there. That's it. No more questions. I don't know. Jesus made it, right? So to be before all things means that Jesus is God and that everything depends upon Him. That nothing exists apart from Him and everything, if you were to trace it back, has its source in the person and work of Christ. So to be dependent on Him means that I acknowledge that everything that I am is only because of who He is. That I'm not anything special on my own. My uniqueness, my specialness is a derivative of Him. And that the very breath in my lungs, the very beat of my heart, the very firing of the the synapses in my brain are all controlled by the sovereignty of Christ. And I got nothing apart from Him. Nothing. He's the source of everything. And then the text goes on and it says that He holds all things together. Notice that it says this. Not only is He before all things, but... In Him, the text says, all things hold together. Here is a dependency, but it's a dependency now, from my perspective, of a different kind. It means that Jesus is not only the source of everything, but He is the sustainer. He's the preserver of the universe. 
Hebrews 1.3 says, He upholds the universe, I love this, by the word of His power. Jesus is the living link. He's the great bond. He's the ultimate unifier that takes things and holds it together. He takes a husband and wife who never knew how selfish they were till they got married. And then He says, you're one flesh now. He takes children who are born sinful and puts them in un trained homes of parents who tried as they could to know how to raise children, but they trying to figure out, and God holds that family together by the person and work of Christ. He takes people from all walks of life, a diverse church like College Park, and He binds us together. He takes people in Nicaragua right now with a vision trip that some folks from College Park are on, and even though they don't speak the same language and have different skin color and come from very different backgrounds, they know Jesus, and it binds them together. In the wintertime, I'll get little splits on my fingers, the kind that, you know, when you're working hard or you're, you're typing and you hit the wrong and it, it splits your finger, and there's no way to heal that thing. I've, I've, I've not found a Band-Aid doesn't work, but what does work, I don't know if it's healthy or not, but here's what I do. I take super glue and I put it in that wound. So, somebody told me once that actually that's how super glue was uh, discovered, that it was for wounds. And I'm like, okay, that's good. At least I won't die. So I, I put it in there and I squeeze it together and it takes something that seems like it's impossible for it to heal. And Christ, by virtue of his super gluey quality, takes people who are really different and goes, they're, they're one. That's how a husband and wife can be so radically different. Like, like what planet do you live on and yet there's unity in the home? Not because you're compatible. And somewhere mark it down. There are no two people who are compatible in the universe. But Christ brings it together. So if you look at your spouse and you're just like, wow, we are so not compatible. That's okay. Just, you need Jesus in the middle of your life. Now, when I say the phrase, hold all things together, it means that Jesus is the core, and he takes all of life, and he's the one that binds it and makes it all work. And i got to tell you, in 13 years of pastoral ministry, I have never had so many people tell me what I should say on this particular Sunday in my entire life. There's an illustration that's roaming around in the Internet by a man named Louis Giglio, a wonderful speaker on the subject of laminin, which is a protein and I got so many emails, and so many people said, you got to show this, okay? Now, you need to know there's a part of my heart that when anyone says, hey, you got to say this, I'm like, no, I'm not going to say it, okay? So, in general, when you tell me what to say, I'm not going to say it, okay? But under great peer pressure and great fear of man, but mostly because when I saw the video, I was like, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Watch this, Louis Giglio, laminin. Oh man, your left hook is laminin. And I'm, I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, Louie, it's a cell adhesion molecule. Protein molecule? Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louie, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like, 
All right. He said, no, Louis, it's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louis. It's laminin. You've got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin. Like, okay, let's see it. He said, no, 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 you need to go look it up online. You need to go Google laminin. I don't even know how to spell laminin. <laughs> Takes his card out, he writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like... That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! <laughs> I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. You should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here is a scientific diagram of the laminin cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I'm, I just can't believe it. I emailed that guy back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. How crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by Him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And He, Jesus, is before all things. And in Him, that is, in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. Okay, so you were right. It's good, right? It is. It's really good. Jesus said it this way to his disciples. I am the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why is that so hard to get into our heads? 
That Jesus is the vine, he holds everything together, we're the branches, we're like, we're like little electrical cords, and we plug into the socket of Christ's power, and apart from him, we can do nothing. The beauty of this, this idea of dependency, means that when I understand that I need Christ at the foundation of who I am, it means that fundamentally I understand that I make a mess of my own life. You know what Mark Vrogup's biggest problem is? Mark Vrogup. That's what Mark Vrogup's biggest problem is. My problem isn't my spouse, my kids, my circumstances, or people who send me emails about what to say on Sunday. That's not my problem. My biggest problem is me. It's that I don't get into this thick head that I can't do it without Christ. And therefore... We need to tell ourselves, preach to our own hearts all the time, I am dependent upon you. Because, get this, Jesus by definition is the source of everything. That's why the first core verse we memorize has this in it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That my dependency on Christ is is not a, a desperate cling of hopelessness. On the contrary, for me to realize that I can't make it without Christ is to tap into the very heart and the soul, the gospel and the power of Christ in me. It means that Christ being the very source of everything, meaning that He holds everything together, it means that salvation by definition is depending on Christ, it means that Christ-likeness, don't miss this, means that I grow more and more dependent, not less. It's the reverse of growing up physically. My kids, my boys in particular, are getting older and older. They can mow the lawn on their own. They can fix their own breakfast. They can get their own clothes on. As they get older, they're becoming more independent. Maturity in physical world means I become more independent, not spiritually. Independency is the death of your soul. Dependency is where life and health and beauty springs. And it's the spirit's role to help us grow in our dependency It means that God, by definition, loves dependency. So why don't we? You know why? Because loving dependency means that I admit fundamentally that I need help. It means that I can't do it on my own. And I don't know about you, but the times that I realize I'm dependent are usually the circumstances that come into my life that put me in a box and I realize I can't make it. And then I go, oh, that's right. I can't make it without you. And honestly, I'm tired of living that way. I want instead to not be like that. I want to be able to look forward to a day and say, Lord, I'm walking into this day being dependent upon you. Instead of realizing, oh, that's right, I'm dependent upon you, I want to flip that and say, Lord, my confession this morning as I brush my teeth, my confession as I look myself in the mirror is this, I'm dependent upon you. I can't make it without you. And before anything comes that tells me that, I'm going to tell you that, to tell my soul that, so that when stuff comes my direction that's hard or painful or difficult, I can say this, hey, you know what? Awesome. It's tough. But you know what? I am becoming dependent on Christ. Verse 17, first confession, dependent on you, Lord. The second one is this, verse 18, I need your power. It says, and he is the head of the body of the church. This is saying to Christ, I need your empowerment. He's the head of the church, meaning that he is the one who's the source of everything. He's the ultimate authority. He's the true leader. He's the source of life. And you see what happens 
to the church and to marriages and to people's lives, to your soul, when you understand that you need Christ's power, amazing things can happen. In fact, in the history of the church, amazing things have happened when the church has gotten this in its soul, that we need Christ's power, and when that becomes a living, breathing reality, revival breaks out. Jonathan Edwards, in a book called God at Work, has this quote. He says, So if people are being convinced of their need of Christ and led to Him, if their belief that Christ appeared in history is strengthened, if they are more convinced than ever that He is the Son of God sent to save sinners, if they acknowledge that He is the only Savior, and notice it here, and they need Him desperately, if they appreciate Him more than they did and love Him too, we may be quite sure that it is the Holy Spirit who is at work. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who tells us, look, you need Christ and you need Him bad. It's God who takes circumstances of our life and reminds us, you can't do life without me and you need my empowerment. You need me to help you. Jesus is the source of all authority and power. The text also tells us he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. Meaning that Jesus was the first fruits of more resurrections to come. Jesus was the appetizer, if you will, like we said in Easter, of that there's a bigger thing that's even coming beyond Christ's resurrection. It's the global resurrection of all the believers, and they're going to be brought to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the ultimate reconciliation between God and man is going to take place. And so we see in this first fruits that Christ is the one who has been raised from the dead. But here's the thing. The Bible frequently tells us that Christ's resurrection becomes, in effect, your resurrection if you know Him as Savior. It means that you have unbelievable power. When Christ was risen from the dead, He declared sin to be defeated and that death would no longer hold Him. And the implication is, is anyone who names the name of Christ now has shared power with Jesus. He takes His power and He gives it to you. Meaning that when a sin comes across your path or a temptation that comes by you, if you know Christ as your Savior, you don't have to do it. You don't have to. Tell that to your flesh that says, oh, yes, we do. We have to do this. We've always done this. We've done this like 10 years. It's really fun and really good. Do it, do it, do it. Tell them, my Savior beat that. I don't have to do it. See, Christ, by his power and resurrection, defeated sin, conquered the grave, and thereby giving us the freedom that we have in Jesus. So we share in his resurrected power. Romans 6 is a passage replete with this sort of tone. Look at verse 12 of Romans 6. Turn there. Paul in Romans 6 says, Don't you know that we've all been baptized into Christ? So when he died, we died. When he rose, we arose. That's assuming now that you know Christ as your Savior. You may be here this morning and you're like, look, Mark, I, like, I've got like zero power to defeat sin in my life. I've got like zero ability to change my life. Right. You're, you're, you are really smart in what you've just said. You have zero power to do that. That's exactly what the Bible says. In fact, it says the wages of your sin is death. The only way that you have any ability to change your life is through Christ. And what happens is when you receive Christ, acknowledge your need of Him, that now you're put into Him and you have a new power because Jesus can change the only thing that you could never change, and that's your heart. Verse 12, Romans 6, Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its passions. Do not present your members as sins 
you members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But notice here, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Meaning that I wake up and I say, Jesus, I'm dependent upon you. But secondly, I need your resurrection power. I need to walk into the office with power. I need to walk into my home with power. I need to watch TV with resurrection power. I need to walk around my life and live my life with resurrected power. And to be able to say to Christ, I need your help and I need your power. The first confession was, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. The second one is, I'm inadequate and I need your power. There's a difference. To be dependent means that you know you can't do life on your own. To know you need his power means that you can't fix your life without someone else's help. Let me illustrate this for you this way. Um, wives, how many of you have husbands who it's like a serious spiritual victory for them to ask directions when they're lost? Let me see your hands. Now, in the, okay, thank you. In the first service, someone like back there put their hand up, and the husband's like, no, no, I'm not. They're like, had a, had a fight breaking out back there. Ushers, you don't know, it wasn't that bad. But he's like, put it down. No, that's embarrassing. God's like making him dependent, like right now, right? So here's, here's dependency, man. You're driving along, and your wife says, are we lost? And you're like, no, I'm not lost. Dependency is recognizing I am lost. Okay? Dependency is a husband looks at the wife and says, Babe, I'm sorry, but we are like lost. And she says, I know. You know? So <laughs> dependency is acknowledging that you're lost. But that's not inadequacy. Inadequacy is the is the double death where you roll your window down and you say, Excuse me, ma'am, I'm lost. Can you help me find my way back to the highway? And some husbands are like, can you help? I can't even say, help me. And the wife chimes in, can you help us? Things are lost. You know, so inadequacy means you're unable to help yourself, able to fix it. And that's what this text means. It means not only that I'm dependent, I need God's help. It means that I can't make it on my own, but it also means I'm inadequate. I need someone else's power. It means here that Jesus can take a sinful desire that's been in your life and so strong for 15 years, He can take it and He can make it unappetizing to you. He can make you feel and smell the full cup of where that thing's going to lead. It means that Christ can break the power of the enemy in your life. He can give you new desires. Desires that you know are not from your heart. He can fill your heart with new love for a spouse, for a child, or a friend who seems unlovable. So you walk away from the conversation and you know that wasn't me. Jesus can, can give you strength to faith on certain days or fears or complex problems with no solutions so you can look at those things and go, I don't know how we're going to do this, but what I know is this is making me dependent and that's really cool. It also means that he can change the one thing in your heart that could never be changed on its own, and that is that Jesus can change your heart. So listen, our problem is not that Jesus is insufficient. Our problem is not that Jesus is insufficient. Our problem, my problem, is that I am too self-sufficient. That's the problem. And the sooner that I realize I can't do this, the better I am. 
before we moved here, um, we were trying to get our house on the market, and uh, we have a bonus room over top of our garage in our house in Fenville that I needed to finish, and so I hung some drywall and uh, was taping it with the first coat of uh, mud and everything else, and I said to my wife that I'm going to go ahead and just finish this room, and um, how many of you have the, the spiritual gift of drywall? Can I see your hands? It's good. Noted. Okay. Because this hombre does not have that gift. So I, I'm, but, so I thought, you know, I'll find a friend, a guy named Dave's in construction. Dave, come here and show me how to do this. So Dave comes over, takes out his thing. He's like, shoo, shoo, shoo. and I'm like, dude, that is so awesome how you do that. He's like, shoo, 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 you know, he's like, he, he's like a machine and an artist. And so I took it. And I'm like, shoo. he's like, yeah, there you go. I was like, all right. So one swipe. I'm like a natural. I got this thing down, right? He's like, yeah, you'll be fine. I'm like, all right. So I took a whole day off work. And I'm in this, like, six-by-six closet. I'm going to practice in the closet, right? So and it doesn't look right. And I'm doing it again. And So I'm adding more mud and more mud. And pretty soon, the, like, the wall's changing. It's getting, like, like further and further out because there's more and more mud on it. And I'm, like, going back and forth. And I'm like, this is, this is not easy. And I'm up in the corners and everything else. And, and I thought, wow, it'll take me an hour to get out of this closet. Yeah, like, six hours later, I'm out of the closet. My wife comes in. She goes, how's it going? I said, I don't know. I still don't think it's going real good. And she's looking around, you know. She's like, all right. So she goes back downstairs. She's like, are you sure you should be doing this? I'm like, yes, I, I can do this. I know I can. So I'm working another two hours. And, and I'm up on top of this ladder working on this corner. And the corner will just not go right. I'm about ready to take the trowel and chuck it to the wall. I mean, I'm just like so frustrated. And I'm sitting on top of this, uh, sitting on top of this ladder. And I go like this. And then I had this, this epiphany. I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. So I climb down the ladder. I take my trowel. I put it in the sink downstairs. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, I, I, I can't do this. And she goes, yeah, I didn't think you could. So, <laughs> so I would have saved an entire day if I would have just acknowledged I can't do this. Listen, I find that to be a very good image of my spiritual life. I'm so busy thinking, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Or I see how someone else does it, and the Lord empowered them to do it like years ago. They've had practice in it. But no, you got to get on your face first before you can learn how to do that. You see, I need your power. That's what we need to say to Christ. I not only am I dependent upon you, but I need your power. I need your help. I can't do this without you. I need your help. I'm lost, Christ. Point me where I should go. Last statement. Love this. I need you more than anything. So again, my image here at College Park is you in the morning on the dashboard of your car, in a mirror, in your home, on a refrigerator. you got three statements. Number one, I am dependent upon you. Number two, I need your power. Number three, I need you more than anything. Verse 18 says that in everything he might be preeminent. The word preeminent means not only first in rank, but first in influence. The idea being that Jesus has a staggering influence on your life. It means that Christ takes precedence over everything. He's not only first in time, He's not only first in creation, not only the first one to conquer sin, but there is no one more central, more important, more worthy, more glorious than Christ. It's what was running through Don Walker's heart last week. The older gentleman in the interpretive reading when he says, and when I come to die, and he can barely say the next words, give me Jesus, why does that evoke such emotion? Because there's nobody worthy like that than Jesus. And we got to get that right into our hearts that we need to be people who are captivated by the preeminence of Christ. 
You know what we need today? We need people who are so captivated by the love for Jesus that when people look at you, they know that you're all about Jesus. In fact, we need people in the church that outside people look at you and say, man, what is up with you? You are a Jesus freak. And you go, yes. Yes. I'm not calling you to be weird, but I'm calling you to be Jesus freaks. People who are just so enthralled with Christ that everything you look and see is about Him. And when someone says, man, this is awesome, things are really going well in your life, you're like, no, 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 Jesus. And that's why honor and prestige and wealth are so dangerous. Because you can buy your way into contentment or safety, and you can cut the umbilical cord of dependency by your wealth or by your position, or by your honor. Which is why Timothy heard the words from Paul, be wary or warn those who are rich in this world that they be not high-minded or trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. We need people who will celebrate communion today, who will take the cup and in their hearts say, this is my story. This is my song. So to those of you who are trapped in the sin of your own self-sufficiency, I have to tell you, your life will fall apart with your fingerprints all over it. To those who are trying to fix the problems of your life on your own, oh, you got it together, man. You got it all figured out. You're going to do this and this and this. You can't strategic plan your spiritual growth. What you can do is fall on your face and say, I'm the problem. To those whose marriages or homes are starting to drift, you you feel this this listing of the boat of your marriage. Look, life falls apart without Jesus. It might be that the problem isn't your circumstances or your kids or your spouse. The problem may be that you're starting to drift from Christ. To those whose problems this morning seem so huge, so complex, so overwhelming that you're consumed with worry and fear, I want to remind you that life falls apart without Jesus and you worrying about it isn't going to do a single thing. That's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It means that you get up in the morning, and the first thing you say is, Lord, I am dependent upon you. I need you every moment of every day. Lord, I need your power. I can't make it without you. I am like a lost man rolling down his window saying, excuse me, Christ, can you tell me where the road is? Uh, Because I don't know. Can you tell me how to fix my marriage? Because I don't know. Can you tell me how to be able to live a godly life? Because I just don't know. We need some people today who own up to the statement, I don't know what to do anymore. And finally, that we would say to Jesus, look, I need you more than anything. I don't need this or that or this or that. What I need, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And what we celebrate in the Lord's table, church, is our confession, our allegiance to Christ, that we need Him more than anything. And let me warn you, let me tell you, you cannot do life on your own. You cannot do life on your own. Hell will be filled with self-reliant people. Life, your life, falls apart without Jesus. And we got to figure out how to take that truth and Combat that reality with statements like, Jesus, I need you. I need your power. And there's nothing that's worth anything more than you. Because when you begin to wander from that stuff, I tell you what, your life will absolutely fall apart. It may take five years. It may take ten years. It may take 60 years. But eventually, your life's going to fall apart. Because nobody 
Nobody's like Jesus. Nobody holds life together like him. He's the king. He's the core. He's the sovereign. He's the one who holds all things together. And without him, everything falls apart. So Jesus, now help us not to be folks who hear the truth and do not respond. Help us to receive the elements of the Lord's table, not only with gladness, but with a level of gravity as we consider how easy it is for us to let things fall apart. So Jesus, speak to us now. Ready our hearts as we receive the emblem that you've designed to remind us that apart from this, we can't do anything. Apart from you, Jesus. So we do this in remembrance of you. In Christ's name, amen.